0: here we go. Here we go. I love that. These videos have been amazing, and the Lord has just been orchestrating them, hasn't he, to just combine messages and songs and videos and sessions together. It is our last session together, and it has been a joy to be on the mountain, to be on the hill with you all for the last several days. And I hope that you have in our time together i hope that you have been running to him I hope that that is something that's been happening, and I hope that you have been believing him and and working to believe him. It takes effort. Now, I want to say exactly what Katie said and exactly what Megan said, that it is an effort that we make, but it is a grace-driven effort. It is not an effort we make on our own, and we're going to be talking a lot more about that. But I hope you've been running to him. I hope you have been believing him, and oh, I hope you have been worshiping him. But I want to end our time together this weekend by looking at how to be transformed by him. Because if you are like me, at the end of the day, we need to be changed, don't we, if we are going to live this thing out. If we are going to live our lives in light of the gospel, in light of the truth of who God is, we have to be changed. We cannot do it on our own. And so... I've mentioned a few times that if you were to outline the book of Romans, if you were to just take it in its bare bones outline section, the simplest way to outline the book of Romans is to divide it into two halves. And we have been spending all of our time together in the first half, which is chapters 1 through 11. And chapters 1 through 11 are just full of these beautiful truth statements about god they are they are full of of what the gospel is of who god is what he has done what he has done for us in christ and then when you turn into the second half of and in that first half there are very few commands we actually looked at the single command in those first 11 chapters and that was to consider consider believe know that you are dead to sin but When we turn the page to chapter 12, we are going to see a huge shift in Paul's focus. Because now what Paul wants us to know, he's been wanting us to know what is true, and now he wants us to know what to do. So we call those the indicatives and the imperatives. It's true statements and it's commands. It is what is true and what to do how to respond how to live out of these glorious truths that he has been proclaiming and you and I we need to know how to live this thing out because as much as I love just contemplating and thinking about and singing about these truths about God I have got to know what the connection is I have to know what the connection is between these things, what I know to be true of God, and the mundane moments of my days. When I am walking my dog, when I am sitting with a grieving neighbor... When I am standing at my kitchen sink and I am just fuming over the words spoken to me by a friend. When I am running late and everything seems to be going wrong. That is the worst version of myself right there. I need to know how these truths affect the moments of my days when I am curled up in a fetal position and sobbing tears of deep grief. I need to know how they affect the moments of my days when I am being lazy and self-indulgent and binge-watching and hitting next episode, next episode, next episode. I need to know how these truths affect the moments of my days when all I can see are the mistakes that I've made. And I need to know how these truths affect the moments of my days when I am cooking dinner, when I am in the grocery store, when I am having coffee with a friend, when I am walking into church. I mean, it's all of the moments of all of my days because this christian life that you and i are called to lead to live it is not just about our heads it is not just about what we know it is about our hearts it's about what we love and it is about our hands it is about what we do and so the gospel is holistic the gospel is meant to affect every every fiber of your being The gospel is meant to affect every moment of your day. The gospel speaks to every moment of your day and every moment of my day. It it is meant to reign over every thought you have, every word you speak, every action you take, every emotion you feel. The gospel is meant to reign over those things. And so is there an area of your life, maybe your thoughts, maybe your emotions, maybe your actions, where the gospel needs to reign a little bit more today and a little bit more tomorrow. So what in your life needs to be different because the gospel is true? And Paul doesn't just leave us with knowledge only. What he does is he helps us take those great truths that he has so clearly proclaimed and he helps us press them into the realities of our very everyday lives, the mundane moments of our days. And so the first verse in the second half of the Gospel of Romans, turn with me to chapter 12, verse 1, says this. Therefore... Therefore, because all these things are true, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, and the word for mercies there is plural. It might look singular in some of your translations, but the word is plural. In view of all of these mercies of God, I urge you. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship, he says. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to discern, so that you may be able to know what is good, what the good and pleasing and perfect will of God is. And that is for that good and pleasing and perfect will of God is the moments of your days. What is pleasing to God in those moments? So I want to focus in on three phrases Paul uses. In view of God's mercies, present your bodies and be transformed, not conformed. So in view of God's mercies, what I want us to see is that what Paul does one more time is that before he tells them what to do, which is going to be present your bodies. That's the first command. Before he tells them what to do to present their bodies and to be transformed, he reminds them one more time of why they do it and how they do it. And it is in view of God's mercies. It's how you're going to do it and it's why you're going to do it because the gospel is never just do it. That is never the gospel message. When God commands his people To do anything it is always and i mean always every single time as a response to what he's already done megan mentioned that yesterday but our obedience is always a response to the love to the kindness to the mercies to the goodness of god that we have Already been given. They've already been showered on us. It is the order of the gospel. It is the order of Paul's letter, but it is the order of the gospel that we obey God. We obey, there are commands in Scripture, and we obey them not to earn God's love, but because we've already been loved. We do it as a response because we have already received. All of his goodness and all of his mercies and all of his salvation. And so Paul tells us that in light of what Christ, in light of what God has already done for you in Christ, everything that we've talked about over the last few sessions and more, that God has saved you, he has justified you, he has taken the righteousness of Christ and given it to you, he has taken your sin and put it on Christ, he's adopted you, he's Sanctifying you, he loves you, he forgives you, he knows you, and he loves you more. I mean, the list could go on and on, couldn't it? It, He's providing for you, he's helping you, he's comforting you. I mean, the mercies of God, it's plural because the mercies of God are vast and they are the reason, they are the means by which we are going to obey and be transformed. And so, Paul says, in view of all of the mercies of God, Present your bodies. The first command, the first imperative that Paul gives us. And if you have been around the church for any time at all, we read those words, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, without even thinking twice, as if they make great sense to us. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice, And if you're like me, you think, you know, okay, you know, my body, that's me. I'm just going to present myself to God in some metaphorical or, or mystical way. It's kind of this, you know, just give Jesus your heart. And God does want your heart. He does want your heart. He wants your affections. I mean, we are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But those aren't the words that Paul uses here. He doesn't say present your heart. He says, present your body. And in chapter six, we didn't, we didn't get there when we talked about chapter six, but Paul said, do not present the members, the parts, the pieces of your body to sin as instruments, as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. Sounds familiar. It's exactly what he's saying in chapter 12, too. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought forth from death to life, and your members, the members of your body, present these as instruments for righteousness. Not instruments for unrighteousness, but instruments for righteousness. And so our bodies matter. What we do with our bodies matters. And Paul tells them to offer themselves, their bodies, to present them. And that's intentionally. That's volitionally. That is willfully. All the different parts of your body. Your mouth. Your eyes. Your hands. Your feet. Your ears. Present the members of your body as holy and pleasing to God. So what Paul's saying here is we are supposed to be saying, Lord, Lord, my hands are being set apart for your purposes, for righteousness, not for unrighteousness. My mouth is being set apart for your purposes, Lord, for righteousness. It is to be holy and pleasing to you. My feet, Lord, they are to be set apart for you, for your righteousness. Let me use them appropriately. My eyes, my ears, my brain, I mean, every part of me, every part of you set apart, set apart to be holy, set apart to be pleasing to the Lord, set apart as, what did Paul say here, as a sacrifice, as a sacrifice. And you know, we're not as familiar with sacrifices as the original audience would have been, as the believers in Rome would have been. Sacrifice was... A very common part of their daily lives it was part of the pagan religious system in Rome in 57 AD when when they received this letter and it worked like this the pagan sacrificial system worked like this you took something into the temple you picked up a a bird or a cow or something on your way in and you took it into the temple and you sacrificed it as a way of appeasing that particular god so that you could get what you wanted so it's like here have a dead bird now give me success in my business right or here have a dead cow and give me a child or a husband or or whatever it was it doesn't matter because the formula was the same it's how pagan sacrifices worked and work you give something and then expect something in return. So, do you think those are the sacrifices that Paul wanted his audience to think about when he used the word sacrifice? I don't think so. Because there was another sacrificial system that at least some in his audience would have been familiar with, the Jewish Christians would have known, and it was the sacrificial system that God had given to his people after he brought them out of egypt and it is an entirely different system if you read through the bible in a year and you get to the end of deuteronomy and leviticus and you're reading what in the world that is the sacrificial system that he's talking about and that sacrificial system i want you to think about when it occurred that sacrificial system was absolutely built on displaying the mercies Of God right because that sacrificial system is given in response to what he had already done which is deliver them redeem them rescue them out of slavery he had already done that before he gave this to them it is also given in in light of what he is was currently doing at that time which is dwelling in their midst it is he is he has just had them build the tabernacle and his glory has filled The holy of holies. So he is dwelling in their midst. And that sacrificial system is given as a way of pointing them to what he would one day do. Which is to give the final and the perfect and the all-sufficient sacrifice. That is the sacrificial system. It is built on displaying the mercies of God. But I want you to think about for a minute all of the sacrifices. All of the sacrifices that occurred over the course of eons, centuries from the time the sacrificial system was given. I want you to think of all of the sheep and all of the bulls and all of the rams and all of the birds. Do you think any one of those ever presented itself? Do you think it ever went? Do you think any of them gave themselves through all the centuries? No. Every single sacrifice had to be dragged to the altar, had to be cajoled or or brought in to, carried in, right, to the altar to be sacrificed through all the centuries until there was a sacrifice Jesus was not carried to the altar. He was not dragged to the altar. He was not cajoled to the altar in any way. Jesus came and he willingly and he intentionally and he volitionally put a heavy crossbeam on his shoulders and he intentionally walked himself up that hill and he placed himself on that rugged cross. And so Jesus in all, all of the sacrifices ever given jesus was the first to present himself as a sacrifice but his sacrifice was not to be a living sacrifice he presented himself to be slaughtered and he was so when in romans 12 the lord asks us to present ourselves, to willingly and intentionally and volitionally present ourselves as living sacrifices, to bring ourselves to him, to offer ourselves, to give ourselves wholly to him. He is telling us that we will be living sacrifices because you and I are going to find life in that place. That is where life is found. And it is abundant life. It is not death. It is life. And so, what part of yourself do you need to offer today, willingly, intentionally, by the grace of God, in view of the mercies of God? What do you need to present today to be holy and pleasing to God? Can you present? Can you offer? Can you sacrifice your sharp tongue? Can you sacrifice the things that you watch and read that are not forming you in Christ's likeness? Can you offer the places your feet go that shouldn't, they shouldn't go? What about offering the words your mouth speaks, that they whisper or they yell at someone? Can you sacrifice those? Can you sacrifice an obsession with your appearance? What Can, can you sacrifice your hands in a way that commits them to doing good and not harm? I mean, what, what part of you... Today, can you present as a living sacrifice? Because we all have something to offer. I promise you that. I promise you that. But here's the good news. As you walk to that altar, and you willingly, and you intentionally, by the grace of God, in view of the mercies of God, present yourself, you will not die You will find life. Jesus said, I came to give life abundantly. I came to give life in the fullest. Let me give you one warning about living sacrifices. The problem with living sacrifices is that they tend to crawl off the altar. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but I will find myself, I will present myself, Again, and in a very short period of time, I look around and I am am nowhere near the altar. I am back to living for myself, choosing my agenda, choosing my priorities, using the members of my body in any way I see fit. I mean, this this living sacrifice thing is not a one and done kind of thing. It is a repentance repetitive we re-offer ourselves we represent ourselves we climb back up on that altar and we remind ourselves again and again and again of the many mercies of God and as we do we present ourselves again and again and again as a living sacrifice to be holy and to be pleasing to God the second command that Paul gives us really has two sides to it. It has a positive side and a negative side. And the negative side is do not be conformed. Do not be conformed to the world or to this age. And the positive side is to be transformed. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. And so what comes to your mind when you hear the command, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world think throughout Christendom we can look back in history and we can see that people have come up with several approaches different approaches to this there were the monastics who thought that the answer to this problem was to completely to completely withdraw from the world and in that place they were protected they were safe they were distant from the perils of this world. And we see the same thing in, in whole communities, Christian communities today that completely isolate themselves from culture. But we also see it in Christians who just distance themselves from unbelievers, relationally distancing themselves from neighbors and from family members who believe and live differently, who don't live in light of the mercies of God. We see it in attitudes of moral superiority and mannerisms of condemnation. We see it when Christians refuse to have their Muslim neighbors over for dinner or they don't include a gay family member in their holiday celebrations. We see it in Christians who who don't go out to lunch with a with a transgender coworker, because you know they're just because they're going to distance they're not going to be conformed to this world I mean there are a myriad of ways that we can distance ourselves from those around us but is that what God meant when he said do not be conformed to this world friends not at all do not be conformed does not mean do not engage Can I say that again? Do not be conformed does not mean do not engage. And far too many Christians believe the command do not be conformed means that they are to distance themselves both from the culture and the people in it. And many Christians seem to believe that evangelism is going to happen through their appearances of moral superiority and their expressions of disapproval. Can I just say that no one has turned to Christ because a Christian shunned them? No one has become a Christian because a Christian shunned them. People turn to Jesus because they are, a Christian has loved them and been different from them. Both. Because it takes both. If we are no different, friends, if we are no different, then we have nothing to offer. But if we are not loving, no one wants what we have to offer. We have to be both. In Colossians 1, verse 13, I believe, somebody look it up for me. Paul, again, I might have it, Paul, again, is talking about this idea we read what he's talking about in verse 13 if i had my glasses i could read it. it says he god has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins and so we've mentioned a few times this domain of darkness this counterfeit kingdom there are different ways that scripture refers to this and the kingdom of light and so when jesus saves us when he justifies us What he does is he transfers us out of the domain of darkness and he transfers us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his beloved son. And these are the two spheres, this domain of darkness and this kingdom of light. These are the two spheres that Paul is talking about in Romans 12 when he tells us don't be conformed over here to the patterns or to the values of the counterfeit kingdom, but be transformed, be changed So that you can be conformed to the patterns of the true kingdom, of the kingdom of light. And Paul, if you remember, he was writing to believers. So this was not a question of to which kingdom you belong, okay? This is not a question of what, it's a question of to which kingdom you are conformed, you are molded, you are shaped. And so the rules and the patterns and the values of these two kingdoms are diametrically opposed to each other. John Stott says this, these two systems, the domain of darkness and the kingdom of light, are incompatible. They are even in direct collision with one another. And so, I think what Paul is saying here is that you may have been transferred into the kingdom of God, but still be conformed to the values and the patterns of the domain of darkness. So, you can run any topic through this rubric you can run any topic but think about what each kingdom what each place says about the following categories and ask yourself to which kingdom am i conformed to which set of values do i buy into which set of patterns define my life what do the two kingdoms say about money the kingdom of light says steward it Give generously. Don't hoard it. What does the counterfeit kingdom say? I mean, get it at all costs. It's going to be the source of your happiness. Hoard it. Keep it for yourself. Okay, what about life? Created by God it is of infinite value. It is purposeful. It's random. It's meaningless. It's disposable. Some lives are more valuable than others. That's what the two kingdoms say. What about sex? Created By God, beautiful within the context of marriage. Whenever, wherever, with whomever, there are no boundaries. Okay, what about marriage? Given by God, defined by God, one man to one woman for life. It's whatever you want it to be. Gender and number don't matter. It can end when you want. Okay, let me press it in a little bit more. Gender created them male, and I created them female. You get to choose. And I say that with compassion, friends, I really do. But which set of patterns do you buy into? Politics, politics. I am going to find my savior. My nation has to reign. He sets up kings and deposes them. Nations rise and nations fall, but we serve the eternal king of glory. What set of patterns do you buy into? To which kingdom are you conformed? Do you have one foot in each kingdom? You take a little of this and a little of that. And so the first question you have to ask yourself is, have I been transferred into the kingdom of God? Have I been born again by the Spirit of God? Have you been adopted into the family of God based on the saving work of the Son of God? If not, today is a great day for that transfer to happen. It is why the Father sent the Son, to rescue us from the domain of darkness to transfer us back into the kingdom of light and you have to be transferred before you can be transformed that's that's the order but if you have been transferred then don't be conformed be transformed and God, in his mercy, tells us how that is going to be happen. He says this transformation, this unconforming us, which is a lifelong process, unconforming us from the values and the patterns of the domain of darkness and conforming us to the image of Christ and, and to the, the kingdom of light, it is a lifelong process, but it is going to happen, the Bible tells us, by the renewing of your mind. You are going to become unconformed from the old set of values and patterns. And you are going to be transformed into the patterns and the values of the new kingdom by what you feed your mind. Because whatever is going in is ultimately shaping you. It's forming you. It's conforming you. That's what he's talking about. And so you and I have to be women who actively participate in literally making our minds new. It means we need to know new things, but we also need to think in new ways. We need to let the way we think be shaped by the Word of God. We have to feed our minds new things. And so in the same way that we have to willingly and intentionally and volitionally present our bodies, we have to willingly and intentionally and volitionally, and it's hard. I know it's hard. Make our minds new. And again, this is going to happen in the moments of your days. It's going to happen in the moments that you decide what to read. And in the moments that you decide what to watch. It's going to happen in the moments as you decide, you take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ and you decide how you're going to think about something. What you're going to let come back again and again in your mind. Are you just going to chew that same conversation over and over and over? The one in which you come back with the witty response. The one in which you come back as the hero of the situation. I mean, are you just going to let that run over in your mind again and again and again? It happens in the moments of your days that you decide what you're going to talk about with your friends. And who you listen to as far as who's, who's giving you, whose advice do you believe? Who are you following? Who are you letting influence you? Who are you letting shape you? But the good news is that as we do this, as we actively participate in the renewal of your mind, in our minds, you and I will be transformed. We are going to be changed, scripture says. And it's going to be slow and it's going to be over the process of our entire lives, but you and I, as we do this, the good news is that we are going to become, it is the word of God telling us, we are going to become women who can actively live out of the gospel in all of the moments of all of our days. We're, it's going to affect everything. It's going to affect what we think and what we feel and how we feel and how we act and how we react and what we do with our hands and what we do with our eyes and what we do with our mouths. It's going to affect everything because the glorious gospel of grace is meant to affect every fiber of our beings every moment of every day and so friends join me keep me accountable in this too but let's present ourselves present all of who you are every piece of your body and be transformed As you renew your mind, and do it all not to earn God's favor, but do it in view of his mercies. Do it because his love has been lavished on you. These magnificent mercies that are yours in Christ. And so, friends, run to him. Believe him. His word is true, and what he says about you is true. Worship him. Worship him. Adore him. Praise him, and as you do, you and I are going to be transformed. We are going to be changed, and it will be for his glory, and it will be for our good. Let's pray. Almighty God, only a holy God could take unholy people and make us holy. Only a righteous God can take unrighteous people and make us righteous. And so, Lord, I pray for each one of us. I pray, Father, that by your mercies and because of your mercies, that we will run hard after you. And, Lord, that we will choose to pursue, to know you. And, Lord, let what we know about you shape us, change us. Oh, Father, send your spirit to conform us into the image of your Son, that we would be holy and pleasing in your sight change us we love you in jesus matchless and mighty name amen